Today, uh, I want to talk to you about something I think we all have in common, and that's that we all have a spot, whether it's the end of a a long work day, maybe after your family has all gone back home, uh, maybe when you are just exhausted, we all have a spot we like to kind of just (sighs) fall into. Maybe it's a, a comfortable chair, maybe it's your spot on the couch. Maybe on a cold morning like this, it's, it's your bed. Um, but we all have a spot that we find ourselves in and we can just finally relax. Maybe the best embodiment of this is one of the favorite characters I have in TV, and that's Sheldon. Sheldon on Big Bang Theory has his spot. We got a fan in the house. Um, and uh, he has this place. His spot is actually right here on the couch. And if you've ever watched the show before, he has a whole logical reason for this. It's the perfect spot. It's not too uh, warm in the summer. It's not too cold in the winter. It's his spot. And if anyone else sits in it, it's the end of the world. And, and we all have places that I think we find ourselves finally comfortable in. And we look forward to kind of getting back to. And you might say, Scott, that's, that's a great thing, right? It's a, it's a good thing to be comfortable, right? Well, I mean, maybe... The question that that I want to kind of introduce as we begin today is, is that comfort dangerous? You might go, dangerous? That's kind of a brash word. It's a strong word. Well, on, on, on a regular occasion, when I stand up here and I share with you and we open God's word together, I think some of what happens here is the opposite of comfort. It's discomfort. And I've been told sometimes when I am standing out in the lobby that I did not make a friend on Sunday morning because of how uncomfortable perhaps you were. I've actually had numerous conversations about this in my office during the week, and I'll kind of summarize what those have sounded like. This is kind of an amalgamation of people who come to visit me. The, the conversation looks like this. It's like, Scott, I feel like you're saying if we don't want to get comfortable, if we don't want to get uncomfortable, there's something wrong with us. But what if I'm good with where I am? And really the question underneath this conversation is, do we really have to get uncomfortable? I mean, do we have to get uncomfortable? I mean, do we have to? Really? And, and if I was honest with you, I would say no and yes. I mean, you're grown-ups. I can't make you do anything. I can, I can barely make my kids do some certain things. I can't make you do a thing. So you don't have to get comfortable. That's why you don't have to be here. But there's also a yes, because I do think that we have to get uncomfortable. And you might say, Scott, why would we be willing to get uncomfortable? Well, often what happens is that we discover what it is that we truly value when something is taken away Or when we realize that that if we don't get uncomfortable, something we value is going to be lost. And and I think what happens is that we get uncomfortable. The why behind that is often a name. It's a person. Some of you this week got uncomfortable because certain people came to visit you, who you love and who you care about. And, and, and at the core of what we're going to talk about today is a value that, that is distinctive about our church. It's one of the things that we hold dear. And we have a value as a church, and it's called getting uncomfortable for Prescott and the world. 
One of the eight core values that make us distinct as a people is this value. And so all throughout the past year, whenever we've had moments like this that are kind of after one series and before another, we've been diving into the DNA, the the fingerprint, the uniqueness of who we are as a church and walking through these eight core values. This is number six. And so we're going to spend our time this morning kind of unpacking what does this mean and what does this look like? And if you're taking notes today, you'll notice that there's not a big idea listed there because I had to get that printed on Wednesday before Thanksgiving and I didn't have this kind of all worked out. So by today, I have it, but you got to do a little bit more writing than normal. I'm sorry, but I'll give you some time to write it down. Here's the big idea this morning. It is impossible to become like Jesus without getting uncomfortable. Impossible. And that's why I answer the question, no and yes. Do you have to get uncomfortable? No. But you also don't have to become like Jesus. And if you do have it as your intent that you want to become like him, you want to follow him, you want to grow up to be like him, then it's impossible to do that without getting uncomfortable. So today, hopefully most of you have gotten that by now. It's impossible to come to Jesus without becoming uncomfortable. Today, what I want to do is I want to share with you three things that we need to know about Jesus and discomfort. And if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to encourage you to open up to John chapter 3. John 3. John is the fourth of the accounts of the life and teaching of Jesus, and it's near the back of your Bible. And it's, it's the place that, that holds what is maybe the most famous verse in all the Bible. You probably saw it if you watched football games this weekend in the crowd somewhere or in the pregame show. Somebody's holding up a sign that had John 3.16 on it. But, but within that verse and its context, we see the first thing we have to know today, and that's this, that we are sent into this world like Jesus was sent. We're sent into this world like Jesus was sent. I mentioned the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. Here's what it says if you need a a, a recall. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Now this is the most famous verse, but most of us stop there with the period. But the beautiful thing continues in verse 17, where it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John 3.16 gets all of the attention, but I think John 3.17 is equally as important. What, what, What the text says is that God so loved the world, not hated, not tolerated, loved the world, that he gave his son to the world. In fact, he sent his son into the world, not for condemnation, but for salvation. Jesus was sent into this world, not to bring a message of condemnation, but to bring a message of salvation. That's, that's the good news. That's the gospel. That's the, the, the essence of our faith in two verses. But what's so fascinating is that Jesus takes this truth that was shared with Nicodemus, a seeker, a man who was asking questions about God, and he takes this truth from the beginning of John 
when John records this conversation, and he brings this language back later at the end of John. You see, John 3 begins with God sending Jesus, and John ends in John 20 this way. Jesus said to them, again, his disciples, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So if you could pick a four-letter word to describe followers of Jesus, and I know this world might have a lot of four-letter words to describe followers of Jesus, I think a good one is the word sent. You and I are sent In the same way that God so loved the world that he gave the world Jesus, and we'll celebrate that in a big way in a few weeks, we have been sent by Jesus into this world too. And Jesus made this very clear, so clear that everyone who was writing about his life recorded this message. Mark ends this way. Then Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Matthew ends this way, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And then Acts written by Luke, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. John Mark, Matthew, Acts, all saying the same thing, that we as followers of Jesus are sent into this world as Jesus was sent. And so I wonder for a moment if we might reflect on this language that we use to describe ourselves. I mean, what does it even mean, I'm a follower of Jesus? In, in, in more recent era, maybe the last 10 or 15 years, it seems like the fashion has shifted from calling ourselves Christians to calling ourselves followers of Jesus. And that's often because Christian becomes a word that gets attached to so many different things, that Christian becomes kind of um, meaningless, or maybe it has baggage. And, and this idea of follower of Jesus really is, hey, I'm not just this because of where I was born or who I grew up as a child of or the country I live in. This is who I'm choosing to be and what I'm choosing to do. I'm a follower of Jesus. But what does that mean, follower? What does it mean to follow someone? When you're a follower of someone, what that means is that you're treating the person you're following as a role model. In our modern language, you'd call these people influencers. You know, the people that you follow on social media and you buy what they recommend and, and you wear what they wear and, and you end up modeling your life after them. That's what a follower does. It isn't just somebody who knows about somebody. It's somebody who does what they do. And we don't follow Jesus the way we follow people on social media. Like, When you're following somebody on social media, you just tap a button, follow, and all of their events show up in your feed. In no way has your relationship to them changed, or even your life changed. You're just consuming their content. In some ways, in this modern world, what we now have is we follow people, which means we have information about them. In some ways, we all stalk each other on social media. We show up somewhere and somebody knows where we've been. They know what we've done. They know what we've eaten. They know who we've hung out with. 
If we post where we are, they know where we are in any given moment. Not always the wisest thing, because people use that to break into your homes when you're gone, but that's a totally different sermon. But, but many of us treat following someone the way that you would stalk someone. And friends, we don't, we're not looking to be Jesus stalkers. Like, the reason that we're here on Sunday isn't to stalk Jesus. Jesus is more than just our savior. He's our leader. He's our role model. And I know lots of people who are like, Scott, Jesus is a great savior. But if push comes to shove, they're not totally sure they want to go everywhere Jesus takes them. And they're not totally sure they want to do everything Jesus does. I mean, if you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, do you want to do everything Jesus does? Because he says that the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's crucified, beaten, mocked. Jesus leaves behind his family to follow God's calling on his life. Has such a panic attack that his capillaries in his forehead burst and his sweat and blood mix. And so he starts sweating drops of blood because of what God's called him to do. Are you willing to follow him there? Put another way, are you more of a fan or a follower when it comes to Jesus? Because I know that we use the word follower, and I think it's a better term than, than Christian in our culture. Because there has never been a moment in culture uh, before the moment in Acts when Christians were called Christians not by themselves. Did you know that? The term Christian was not first a self-identifier that I would say, I'm a Christian. In the scriptures, someone else called you a Christian because you looked like Jesus. And in that context, it wasn't a compliment, it was a put down. Ooh, that little Jesus over there. And so I, I think it's important as we think about what does it mean for us to follow Jesus in our day, that if we're going to follow him, that's going to require us to be sent. And by being sent, we're going to be sent into discomfort. Fans just stay where it's comfortable. Followers step out where it is uncomfortable. And let me contextualize this for, for us at Cornerstone. At Cornerstone, we talk about four things we want you to do. And that's gathering in worship. That's what's happening here. We encourage you to come and gather. Yes, you can watch online as some of you are right now. And if you're sick or if you have a physical limit or you're not actually able to get here, great. But if you can get here, get here. Because worship is different when you're in the room versus watching pixels. It's just different. We encourage you to connect in a group where you move from these rows to gathering in circles where you can be known, where somebody can say, hey, two weeks ago, you mentioned you were going to do that. How did that go? Or, hey, we asked you to pray for that. What happened with that? Or, hey, you mentioned you were struggling with that. Would you like some help? We encourage you to, third, serve where you're gifted. You have gifts and talents that God has put in you that are not utilized when you're not serving. But finally, number four, and this one doesn't get enough attention, we encourage you to engage your circle. There's people that you will spend time with this week that I don't have their phone number. I don't know where they live. I don't know who they are. And if I was standing next to them in the line at Fry's, they would say, this is just some random dude. 
But if you walked up, their face would light up. They'd come over and give you a hug. They'd be excited to see you. They're not close to me, but they're close to you. And I don't believe that's an accident. God has put you in their life on purpose, for a purpose, for you to have an impact on them. And that's why I love and I agree with the words of Charles Spurgeon, who said every follower of Jesus is either a missionary or an imposter. And I know that last word is a strong word, but if followers do what the person they're following does, and if God sent his son and the son sent us, what other option is there but to be a missionary? And some of us, we have a kind of baggage with that term. Let me put this on kind of the, the lower level, the lowest level possible. When I was a kid, the height of every Sunday morning was the color comics. I read the sports page too, but I always got the color comics. They came out on Sunday. And one of my favorite comics when I was a kid was called Family Circus. And so this was Family Circus one day, this, this young boy named Jeffy. And he, so he would get up and he would wander all around his house and all around his neighborhood and talk to everyone. Again, this was before we were afraid to let our kids out of our sight. But this was just Jeffy's day. Jeffy was engaging his circle without even knowing it because everywhere he went, he was connected to people. And what, what it means to be sent is to go about your day with a new awareness and a new understanding that where you're going and who you're with is not accidental, but providential. That you were sent by God to those places and to those people, and God is already at work there and you're going to join him. So here's a question for you. What if you saw everywhere you go and everyone you meet and everything you do as an opportunity that God set up for you? What if you saw everywhere you go, everyone you meet, and everything you do as a setup by God? That you were sent there to that place, to those people, to do those things. And that God was already at work there and you were going to join him because his son was sent and you're sent. And some of you are like, Scott, I, I, I get a sense of where you're going and you just need to know I'm uncomfortable because Scott, I don't know enough to be sent. I don't know enough to be a missionary. I'm not ready for that. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are parents? Raise your hand. How many of you were ready to be a parent? How many of you, when you got married, if you've ever been married, were ready for that? How many of you, when you took on the job you have, or a job you once had, or that big promotion you had, how many of you, you were ready for that? You really knew enough. No! You're never ready to get married. You're never ready to be a parent. You're never ready for a promotion. You're never ready to begin influencing people. Seven and a half years ago, you guys called me to be a pastor here. Thank you. But newsflash, I wasn't ready. <laughs> I didn't know enough. And yeah, you may go, Scott, you're up there, you're talking about all this. Yeah, but when I started doing this 17 years ago, I wasn't ready. I didn't know enough, and if I waited until I knew enough, and if I waited until I was ready, I would have never obeyed God. 
So friends, we are sent in this world like Jesus was sent. Not always ready, not always knowing enough, but sent nevertheless. Here's the second lesson that we need to see, and it comes from 2 Corinthians 5. Paul says here, from now on, then we don't know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who's reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he's committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us, and we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The second lesson about following Jesus and discomfort is this, that we are sent into the world to see like Jesus, and to represent Jesus. In this world, we are sent to see and to stand in place of to represent Jesus. So let's start with that word, see. And let me ask you a question. Do we see people the way that Jesus does? Do we see the people that we are around every day as Jesus does? In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, we used to regard people from a worldly perspective. Your translation may say a human point of view. We used to see people the way that everybody sees people, Paul says. He goes, but, but we do so no longer. And, and what happens as we scroll our feeds or we go shopping or, or we talk with people? How do we see them? Well, according to Paul, he says, as followers of Jesus, we see everyone as either a new creation or a potential new creation. There's only two kinds of people in the world, Paul says. Either people who become a new creation because of Jesus or who have the potential to do that if they would encounter Jesus. And surrender their life to him. And this is important because Paul used to see people from a human point of view. He saw everyone as the good people and the bad people. His people and those people. Us and them. Paul was wicked smart. He'd been trained and shaped and prepared to be the leading Jewish apologist and teacher and when Jesus comes on the scene and his followers take over, Paul begins to persecute them. He stands over and watches them be killed. And then Paul has a radical encounter with Jesus. And Jesus says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul's whole world turns upside down. And Paul says, we now see people differently. He goes, I even viewed Christ from a human point of view, and I do so no longer. And he concludes with this statement that we are God's ambassadors. Even in the day of Paul in the first century, there was an ambassador, and that was someone who was part of a different empire, a different people, a different government, who was serving amidst a people that were not their own, trying to advance 
the message and the values of that empire, of that nation, of those people. And so God has sent us into this world to say, you are my ambassadors with people who aren't like you, with people who don't share your values, with people who live differently. And I want you to make my appeal to them. Reconciliation is possible. And so as, as ambassadors, our lives are making an appeal. The problem is that our appeal is often not very appealing. I, I got some emails this weekend. Um, did you get some emails this weekend? I got tons of emails this weekend. This is what I call the weekend you discover everyone in the world who has your email address. You call it Black Friday, I call it National Unsubscribe Day. I just take joy scrolling down, unsubscribe, 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 unsubscribe. And part of it is that people think their offers are super appealing. And a lot of times, I don't find their offer very appealing. It's not that big of a sale. I mean, do you remember when people used to literally beat each other up in the Walmart aisles over TVs? And then I see some of these sales. This isn't, this isn't an appealing sale. This is barely anything, you know? Like, no one's going to beat each other up over their iPhone for that. Come on. In the same way, Jesus has called us to make an appeal with our lives. And what we often see in our world is that the lives and the appeals that followers of Jesus are making are not so appealing. Let me be really clear. God isn't looking for perfect representatives, but he is looking for genuine ones. He isn't looking for us to never fall short, to never stub our toe, to never stumble, to never struggle. No, he's looking for us to be genuine, authentic, honest followers of his. Because God wouldn't look great if we were perfect, right? There would be no need for God's grace and God's strength if we were strong and we were perfect. As Paul himself says, God's grace is sufficient for us and his power is made perfect in weakness. And so when he uses weak, imperfect people like us who are genuine though, the world gets that message. And the message is, I believe Jesus loves you, so I'm for you. That's the message that we share with the world. The Father sent the Son because he loved the world, and God has sent me because he loves you, and I love you. And so I'm here for you, and I am for you. And that's what this un uncomfortability is about. We love the very people for whom Jesus gave everything. How committed is Jesus to this world? How much does Jesus love this world? He gave it all. And that's why we get uncomfortable. And if Jesus got uncomfortable for people, then we're going to have to get uncomfortable too. Because it's impossible to be like Jesus without getting uncomfortable. Here's the third lesson. It comes from Mark 8, 34. Calling the crowd along with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The third lesson about following Jesus and discomfort is that we're sent into the world to become like Jesus. 
We're sent into the world because he was sent. We're, we're sent into the world to see like Jesus and represent Jesus. And ultimately, we're sent into the world to become like Jesus. That's the culmination, that we become who Jesus would be if Jesus were us. And here's the challenge. We have been called to be formed into the image of Jesus in the midst of an age and an era and a culture that is also seeking to form us. God is trying to shape us into a certain kind of person, and so is this thing too. Every app on your phone has been engineered to shape and create a certain mindset and behavior. Scrolling your phone is not a passive act. You're being formed. And the way of this world is unexplainable without the values of self-expression and self-fulfillment. Express yourself, fulfill your needs and wants. That's the way of this world. And it's unexplainable without these values. How dare you repress yourself? How dare you have some sort of longing and desire and not fulfill it? I mean, that's not just foolish in our world. It's completely unacceptable. And yet the way of Jesus is unexplainable without self-denial. Mark 8, 34, Luke 9, 23, Luke 16. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What Jesus is saying is, if you want to become like me, if you want to follow me, the first thing is to deny yourself. And let me be clear. Deny yourself isn't ignore your emotions, ignore your body, and burn out for Jesus. There was an era where I lived like that's what deny yourself meant. And so as a result, I didn't pay attention to the emotions God gave me which is too bad because everybody else had to deal with them. I didn't pay attention to my body. And so at 28 years old, I burned out. And that, that wasn't like a spiritual like pin I could put on my chest. Look at me, I burned out for Jesus at 28, you know? That was sinful. I was a poor steward of the body and the opportunity that God gave me. Deny yourself isn't that. Deny yourself is a rejection of the flesh and a declaration of spiritual warfare against sin. Deny yourself is an acknowledgement that that if you want to become like Jesus, you have an enemy and he is going to use everything at his power, place, resource to resist that. And so when you deny yourself, you go, I'm not going that way. I'm going a different way. And friends, the path of comfort is not the path of formation. If you want to become like Jesus, comfort is not the ticket. The problem is our world sees comfort as an ideal, while the scriptures see comfort as an idol. Now, an idol is anything good that God made that we seek to become like God to us. Comfort in and of itself is not bad. But when we look to comfort 
for what only God can give, comfort becomes an idol. And ultimately, friends, idols become obstacles. So I'm not saying you need to go home and throw away your favorite chair. If your spouse tries that today, say, Scott said that's not what we're doing. We're not filling up Goodwill's deposit, you know, line. But it is time to ask some questions. And one of those questions is this. Has our commitment to comfort become an obstacle to what God wants to do in and through you? Have you so elevated comfort that when God presents an opportunity to you or calls you, you say, no, I couldn't possibly do that because it would require me to sacrifice comfort. It, w- it would require me to be too uncomfortable. And I couldn't, I couldn't be that uncomfortable. I'm not against comfort. But I am against your commitment to comfort being an obstacle to what God wants. And why you say all of this focus on getting uncomfortable? Why would our church have this as a core value? Well, here's what we wrote two years ago. We wrote this. All too often, the church is known for what it's against. And we want to be known for something different. Our love and care for people. We call this mindset for Prescott and for the world. Just as Jesus was sent into the world because of God's love, we have been sent into the world to share God's, the good news of God's love. As sent people with this mindset, we embrace spirit-led opportunities where we leave behind our comforts to serve others and share the gospel. That's who we want to be as a church. And what that means is if you're saying, hey, Cornerstone is my home, This is my place, and these are my people. I can predict the future. You're going to get uncomfortable. I'm going to get uncomfortable. Not because discomfort is our idol, but because we love and care about the people that Jesus gave his life for so much here in Prescott and around the world that we will get uncomfortable that they might know what we know, that they might have a relationship with the one we have a relationship with, that they might discover the good news that has changed us because it's impossible to become like Jesus without getting uncomfortable. So here's some next steps for you. And these are questions I want you to reflect on this week. Here's the first one. Where in your life is Jesus stirring you to get uncomfortable? As you've been listening to me for the past 35 minutes, what has been coming to mind? Is there a person? Is there a step? Is there an opportunity? Where in your life before today and including today is Jesus stirring you up that he might be leading you away from comfort and towards him? Again, I don't answer that question for you. I know what it is for me. Number two, who do you love that is motivating that discomfort? Who do you care about so much that you want them to discover who Jesus is and what he has meant to you and you're seeking to be an ambassador to them? And if it takes getting uncomfortable for them to know Jesus, you'll do it. 
I mean, the people that you're praying for, what would you be willing to give up for them to discover Jesus? Would you be willing to move seats here on Sunday morning and sit in a different place? A couple weeks ago, somebody who sat over here was sitting over here, and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I went to preach, and I went to look at them, and what are you doing over there? I once sat at a church where somebody came as a first-time guest, and they sat down in a seat, and they didn't know it was somebody's seat. And this hallmark patriarch in our church walked up and said, you're in my seat. I never came back. I'm not convinced that person was a bad person. They just didn't realize that their values were showing. Because we sacrifice for our values every day. And if there are people that you love dearly, that you're praying for, that you want to see to come to find Jesus, how uncomfortable are you willing to get? What is your seat, your discomfort, that thing you can't imagine giving up? And then number three, what's your next step with Jesus when it comes to getting uncomfortable? If you want to be like him, if you want to follow him, if he's your role model, then what's the next thing he's calling you to do? I wonder if maybe we need to begin thinking, hey, God could be calling me to this not because it's comfortable, but because it's not. Why do we always assume that when everything is getting easier and easier, it must be God? God's opening the door. It's a sign. God must be in this. What if doors being slammed in our face was a sign that God was in this? What if having to sacrifice more was a sign that God was in this? It's impossible to follow Jesus without getting uncomfortable. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you love us, that you left your comfort in heaven and all the privileges that that included to come for us. The reason that we're here today is that you got uncomfortable for us. Not because you had to, but because your Father loved us. And we thank you, Jesus, that you did that for us. And Jesus, you've chosen for us to live at a time in which it is really, really hard to get uncomfortable. Everywhere we turn seems to reinforce our comfort. And in a lot of ways, this is a very comfortable time to live. But more than we want to be comfortable, Jesus, we want to be like you. We want to follow you. We want to be used by you. So Jesus, we pray that you would help us, that you'd strengthen us, that you would equip us, even in the areas where we don't feel ready, that we don't feel like we know enough to be your witnesses, to be your ambassadors. Jesus, we have people in our minds right now that we love, that we care about, that we just wish they'd be open to you because we know the difference you could make. And we pray that you'd use us in their lives. 
We're not going to be perfect. We're going to say the wrong things. We're going to do the wrong things. But Jesus, we, we want to show them who you are. We want to show them how we are different people because of who you are. And so we pray that this week, as we go in and out of our lives, as we see them and spend time with them, we pray that you'd use us to help them take a step closer to you. Thank you, Jesus, for the people you used to help us discover you. Help us to be the kind of people to help other people do the same. We ask this all, Jesus, in your name and in your power. Amen.